Hi everyone, welcome to the first HLA podcast. Uh, my name is Johan Marlona and I'm the director and founder of the HLA. Uh, today I'm really happy to be joined by George Miller, who is one of our founding scholars. Say hello, George. Hello, everyone. So George is um, joined the program as one of the first applicants. I think you were, you were actually the first person who ever emailed in Overkeen, asking about the yeah well, <laughs> keen is good we like keen so um we're the first person to uh, email in asking about the program way back when we started it so um yeah. july last year you finished the program um and he's in to talk to you about this so today um what we're going to talk about is uh the hla program in general uh george is going to tell us a bit about himself and why he joined the HLA program. Uh, I met Johan, was it two years ago now? It was yeah. a very long time ago. Yeah, it was two um, years ago. Around two years ago, uh, actually during the contract dispute, uh, when we were trying to work out uh, how to move forward and make positive change. And uh, I thought that this kind of program was really exciting uh, because it offered an avenue A, to meet interesting, uh, pretty inspiring people from different fields, uh, and B, potentially, uh, have an opportunity for self-analysis, I suppose, some introspection, so you can figure out how you approach these things and whether you can improve upon them. So I thought it was pretty exciting uh, at the time. Okay, and uh, tell us about your career before that or during and after. Give us a bit of a biography of who My you time. are. Well, uh, I, I was very fortunate in that I met the right person at the right time, which isn't true for everyone. So. In my second year of medical school, I, I assume this is Jen, as well as meeting the love of my life in the third year of my medical school, which I'm supremely grateful for. I also met um, a few other people along the way who were helpful in a career-focused <laughs> way. Um, in that sense, uh, I met someone when I was in my second year uh, who kind of took me under his wing, uh, showed me how to succeed in medicine, in particular with reference to publications and presentations and uh, prizes, uh, to try and curtail your enthusiasm to work effectively for your future career and also to make you more useful. So uh, I was really, really fortunate and I remain in incredibly grateful for that. Um, and I'm hopeful that through working in the HLA, both learning as a scholar in it and also now helping from a almost faculty standpoint, um, it enables me to pass on some of the benefits I've been given to other people. So it doesn't end up just being a sort of nepotism, I benefit and other people don't situation. Excellent. And, and I think one of the key factors about what we try and do at the HLA is, um, is this kind of pay it forward mentality mm. where you take you whatever benefits you've you've gained or you've got access to, you try and encourage it to be disseminated as widely as possible to people that would want to develop themselves and develop who they are. This is a serious point, I suppose, isn't it? That in the end, we have an opportunity now, especially through things like the podcasts and multimedia and online um, access that anyone if they're willing to work hard can succeed as long as they have an avenue for doing so so it can become a genuine meritocracy uh, which hasn't been the case in medicine for a very long time it's, it's almost always worked on this sort of uh, who you know uh, approach which is something which hopefully we can change okay. so George tell me um, about the when you went through the application process how did you find it what tell me about how what you how you found the application process what you had to do well, and how you find it in general uh, some of it was was very normal, uh, but the kind of thing I've grown used to with applications. So writing an essay to explain what you've done in the past and your achievements and uh, why you're interested. Uh, bits of it were very new to me. Um, I've never recorded a video um, like that before, so I found that quite unusual. Um, uh, strange, I think, because you, you never know what you sound like 
when you recorded in the same it always sounds a bit strange i think um but no entertaining um i sent it off i filmed it in my um girlfriend's bedroom having tried to set up the background so it looked vaguely professional um rather than just some posters on the wall and uh, no well somehow it all worked out well i'm glad you approved <laughs> so here I am. we designed an application process that was totally different from anything that we normally go mm. through um and we specifically ensured that we don't we publish a person specification but we don't want people just to hit tick boxes and yeah. and like you know go through the usual thing of trying to work out what it is they specifically need to say and therefore can can hit the application process it's a very it's really a, a way of looking at a person in the round mm. um and then assessing them so tell me about some of the speakers you um you particularly found interesting mm. through your experience because we we try and use the same uh some of the same speakers each year mm -hmm. and then we bring in new speakers each time mm. um and what we also try and do is not replicate speakers that you would find you know if you if it was just another medical speaker from medical school that mm. anyone else has heard from i think that in almost it, it kind of wastes the time of the scholars who've put so much effort to be there yeah. so we try and avoid that kind of profile of individual um but maybe you tell us from your perspective tell me from your at all tell the people well, that are listening from your perspective who you got to hear from and why and what was different the, about the them. thing is on the one hand uh, yes having the, having that kind of esoteric uh, rarefied individual who is quite apart from the person you'd interact with at medical school is really helpful uh, of course it was uh, timely uh, when we were going through the course because of what was going on leadership in the healthcare um, field and the range was incredible um, some of the speakers were just impressive in terms of how, how they live their lives and thought. Hearing, hearing some of the people running that talking was fascinating as well because they started out not so dissimilar to where I am now, considering a surgical career, um, impassioned about wanting to make change in HS and curious about what was going to happen with media, knowing that it, it could be a new frontier which can make massive difference, um, a new revolution in healthcare. And so what we did with, um, with the programme and what we evolved it with um, in light of a lot of the experience and feedback was that we then focused much more on the experience of scholars getting practical mm. advice on how to develop their own leadership skills mm. and experience, but also developing projects that practically applied those mm -hmm, skills mm -hmm. into um, into a into a scenario where they had to take responsibility for something. Yeah. And I think that has been a that has been a real a really interesting development because it certainly felt with the second cohort um, that more people have that the scholars have therefore had to apply themselves in a slightly different way um, because I always feel that sometimes if you have just endless high-profile speakers then you end up almost in a kind of it, it's great for it's almost like physical television you're in there you're, you're you're interacting with people and they're they're very interesting yeah. but what are you practically getting out of it so i think that we we kind of listened to a lot of what the feedback was and tried to evolve I, I, it I think fundamentally leadership isn't general it's specific and it's personal and therefore to, to be able to if, if you can teach leadership which is a, its own point but if, if it can be taught then it has to be taught in a specific way. It can't, it can't be taught in, mm. in generalisms. So therefore, having these inspiring speakers, giving didactic teaching is, as I say, inspiring, but inspiration alone doesn't, it, it's, not, it's not the whole answer, it's part of it. And so, no, I completely agree with you, having, having it tailored. And some of the speakers in fairness did do that. Mm. Uh, Modi, for example, was a, was a really good example, who really took a lot of focus on, on uh, an interaction with the 
people who are listening on a personal level and I think that was very effective but tailoring the whole program to being like that can only be a massive benefit so certainly that's a positive change so in terms of um the your experience with the HLA that's been really mm -hmm. interesting tell me what you've done subsequent to being on the program how have you taken that experience and taken it anywhere or what well, have you done um, so what I'd say about uh, involving the HLA is that there are, there are two main avenues one is it will inspire you to be able to progress in your own projects and the second is that as is always inevitably the case when you're in a group of really impressive people I don't count myself amongst that group from when I was parachuting into this group who otherwise were very impressive it, it does it immediately sparks you off and impressive people tend to encourage others in a way which they weren't necessarily expecting themselves to be so for example meeting some really fascinating scholars for example the people behind not just a medical student which is a wonderful initiative um it inspired me to be part of that and then that grew and then won a social media uh, influence of the year award which is really inspiring which i never thought i would have been in, in any way tangentially involved with but i was which is exciting um some of the other projects going on so there's there's research and development looking at how the hla can be improved which i've been involved with uh, and courses as well which um, i've been happy in able to run uh, through the HLA, which are now active and online. And so that's all been a completely new frontier for me. I, I, I think I could quite accidentally and happily gone through my life having never put anything formal online uh, as a record. And uh, it's exciting uh, to know that that's a new avenue I can pursue. So, uh, you know, it's wonderful. And you, you, you're speaking of that, you actually, um, for a long time at medical school, you used to... Uh, used to do these talks for your yeah, your contemporaries right. and the people that came after I've you. I've given it many times, yeah. And we, we then converted it to a to an online course that you could um you could then hear about. Um and it was a and, and actually we've because of that people have accessed it. It's an it's a you talked about the kind of multimedia nature of, of what we do. Um, I think it's been like one of the big focuses has been trying to open the eyes of young uh, clinicians to a world that is now very different to mm. what would have come before like you have the ability to talk to a much wider audience than your friends or one group of patients or mm. this is this is an incredibly important point I think actually I think if you want to frame it in this way you could consider there to be sort of three great revolutions in healthcare in the last hundred or so years first the advent of antibiotics which has pushed a whole new frontiers of medicine forwards Secondly, the focus on evidence-based medicine uh, in the sort of 70s and 80s, uh, which has been a, a real uh, avenue for change uh, in the health service. Uh, with systematic reviews, proving certain things we didn't expect and disproving others, and that's been wonderful. But we have this third sort of multimedia age, which is coming into healthcare now. And I really think that the mobile phone, for example, has, has the capacity to revolutionise medicine if it can be harnessed correctly. Again, returning to what Touch Studio are doing at the moment, which is just remarkable. Touch surgery. Um, forgive me. Yes, yeah. touch, touch surgery. It's, it's, it's just so impressive. Um, some of the research which I've been involved with, with DeepMind, is similar. So looking at how new technologies could, for example, read X-rays or CTs better than uh, better than a human can, that's inspiring. But equally, it's inspiring to see how dissemination information is now potentially freely available or much more widely available. And that's something which HLA is part of, and that's something which is very exciting. So, George, other things that you've worked on, and I think uh, the listeners are going to get to hear about it very soon because we'll release it. Mm. But you, last year, you interviewed uh, Anne Lim. Mm. Um, as one of your projects. Yes, Dr. So Anne Lim CV. Dr. Anne Lim CV, yes. Yeah. So tell, tell us about that experience. 
Oh, Don't give away too much because obviously we want them to. We want everyone to get a chance to listen to the no, podcast. No, I'll, I'll keep them. I'll leave them wanting more. So I had the opportunity. So this is one example of many. So HLA, it's not just uh, didactic teaching. It's it's a lot more than that. It's inspiring you. It's a community which grows up around you, and also it's access to some fascinating individuals. So Anne Lim being a, a cardinal example, she uh, has led in a really remarkable life in public service. Uh, all the way from being head of the Scouts, which is an organisation with over 2 million members, to involvement running a huge number of different boards at the heart of government. So uh, getting to speak to a woman like that, uh, who's just been uh, throughout a fascinating person, lived an amazing life, um, a career which really one should aspire towards, that, that was a great experience. And actually one of my first experiences in the HLA was very early on, I, th- I think in the first couple of months. Um, inspirational, as I said. Okay, so make sure you um, check that out if uh, if you haven't seen the video already. Then it will be turned into a podcast in the next uh, few weeks, if not months, and you'll be released. So do keep an eye out for that. Um, I'm going to now um, just give you a brief overview of the application process. So the applications are open now. Um, they will be open till the 17th of May, so do make sure you check out the web pages about it. Um, the application and the whole program this year has um, increased significantly, so we've been very kindly uh, sponsored by the Medical Defence Union and by Medics Academy, um, as well as commissioned by Health Education Northeast, uh, specifically uh, Namita Kumar, who's the dean up there, and um, Alison Williamson, who's basically been uh, doing all this extraordinary work helping us. And um, and what we're going to be delivering is a second programme. So we normally deliver the programme based in London, usually around um, central and east London, where uh, a lot of our kind of either the Medics Academy studio is or the um, touch surgery studio was. That's where the first cohort ran. Um, but we're going to run that one, that session, and we're going to run a second series of uh, sessions up in Newcastle, thanks to Health Education Northeast. And so it makes becoming part of the HLA and becoming uh, getting access to the programme much easier for those applicants that come from other parts of the country. Um, in both previous applications, we've uh, rounds, we've uh, we've had applicants from. Uh, from both Scotland and the north of England and there's there's always been a bit of difficulty accepting as many as we'd want to simply because of the travel implications and all the other things but this hopefully means that we can definitely get uh, this away from just being a London-centric thing and actually open up access to a lot more people. So do consider applying, do have a look um, and there'll be a lot more places available. Um, What we'll also do uh, this year is uh, the program itself has been has been reviewed and um, approved by the Institute of Learning and Management, um, who have said that anyone that comes out of the HLA program meets their criteria for fellowship, which is a great uh, indication of 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 what we do and kind of a, uh, we've found we've. We thought it's a great validation of everything we're doing, so do you know? Do apply for that reason as well, because it's a it's a additional way to get a a, a, va- a very valuable qualification or a post nominal, mm. whatever. Mm. Um, 
but that's not you know the primary reason to apply. That's uh, but that's a great that's a great additional thing. Um, so George, um, if when you applied, what were the key things you wanted to know? Well, I, th I think with these sorts of programs, it's always interesting to uh, first assess how they're going to be put together, and second determine whether it's going to have a really practical benefit to you, which I can say profoundly it does. Uh, and thirdly, you always want to know the motives behind its creation. And so I did. I did wonder why, in the midst of all what was going on back in that year, uh, you felt so impassioned to try and set something like this up. What was the what was the thinking behind it? Um, I guess for quite a long time, I'd taken on leadership roles as a both as a student and then as a as a junior doctor. And whenever you go into these roles, you realise that you get very little preparation. To actually do those roles, um, you there's handovers are very um, dependent on the individuals concerned. There's a lot of skills that you pick up by osmosis, but you don't really get you don't get shown how to do things very um, very well in in most of like kind of medical leadership roles. The other thing is that in general handovers can be really technical they're like you know this is how you log into this email account this is how we put the website up this is how you do this this is how you do that it's rarely that you ever get kind of challenged on why you're doing something what's your motivation what can you do with the authority and the influence that you've gained um, what does the position allow you to do all of these things that are far more generic and, and relatively abstract um, and so knowing that, I, I, I felt that it was really important that more people had um, some sort of preparation for roles like this in the future, um, and also that they had preparation in way for things that they wouldn't necessarily get prepared for in the current kind of medical environment. So things like using multimedia tools, working with across uh, professions and specialties, um, being having access to people at a very senior stage, at an early stage in their own career, so that they can they then gain the confidence to quite freely interact with people and be able to put forward their position or their viewpoint without feeling that they have to be part of the hierarchy. Because I think the problem with medicine in general is that it is extremely hierarchical. Mm -hmm. It is one of probably one of the most hierarchical bits of society. And that can be good a good thing, but it can also be an incredibly terrible thing, frankly. Well, the thing with hierarchies is that inevitably they're focused on homeostasis, aren't they? They, they want to keep things as they are because the, all the pressure is towards that. Uh, so, no, it makes a huge difference if you can try and mix it in a different manner but it's very hard to do yeah and I think the other thing I I felt within the medical profession is that you, you in medical profession specifically but also you see it across healthcare is that there is a um, there is a real lack of kind of of role modeling going on mm. um, and diversity of role modeling um, and so if I was very lucky in most of the roles I took on that I had a wide network of people that I could talk to and I and I was a relatively I'm a relatively confident person I don't really uh, have any problem going and saying what I think and so it meant that um, I, I, I felt the ability to go and you know to make a, make my points um, in a confident manner but a lot of people I noticed 
kind of walk on eggshells into mm. these roles and um, and a lot of that comes from just an exposure issue. They just aren't exposed to the diversity of people that they need to be at an early enough stage that they feel confident when they go in. And therefore, when they get into a role, they don't really maximise the opportunities that there are available to them. And that's not just maximising for their own benefit, but often when you take on a leadership role, um, not maximising the opportunities has an implication on the very people that you're representing mm. or you're leading or you're meant to be managing um, or any of the other reasons why you've got into it. And I think for that reason, it was really important to, to mm. kind of do this. The other thing I noticed throughout my career is that I was very fortunate to work with some really amazing, interesting, inspiring people. And those are my contemporaries, not people that I was reporting to or who mm. I was under or whatever but the people I was working around um, and I stayed I often stayed very good friends with people for a long time um, and what that taught me was that you watch what they do you see how inspiring they are you see how confident they are um, and that made and, and you learn a huge amount from those people and so I wanted to kind of replicate that by creating this kind of cohort um, model where mm. people would spend time with a group of people that were contemporaries and mm. they would gain this network of contemporaries as they go through that they could bounce ideas off and they could test theories with and um, and they could just socially interact with just to kind of understand um, some of the real pressures that they were under and if you can create that um, that cohort benefit then it then for the individuals going through and they take on difficult challenges it hopefully um, it hopefully encourages them to not burn out but also go and test their mm. ideas with all others the other thing I felt when I, whenever I went through my career is that you can identify people that are, have an influence on a lot of other people around them mm. and if you can identify them and and hopefully then give them uh, and then they then role model the right kind of behaviors and attitudes to the people around them then if they're people themselves that other people look to and are inspired by then hopefully the the those behaviors and attitudes which are positive will be the ones that then perpetuate because in my career i, I ended up you know, you work with a lot of amazing people, but you also see really bad examples of, mm. of, uh, of um, like, attitudinal things and, um, and behaviours. And so you, you don't really want to pick up those. I didn't want to pick up those. I would try and, um, I would try and avoid that kind of um, emulating that kind of behaviour. And mm. so, um, so, yeah, I, I mean, I guess I wanted to kind of see how we could ensure that... Y young clinicians had the confidence to go into their career and mm. pursue what they believed in rather than just necessarily ending up by luck of the draw ending up with a with a maybe a positive or a, in worst case a negative role model mm. there were lots of people around me at the time who were and still who are who are incredibly inspiring individuals and they weren't just senior people most of the people I'm really inspired by are often people I worked with mm -hmm. as contemporaries um, and there's a you know as you know there's a lot of uh, junior doctors medical students and um, and more junior senior doctors involved with the HLA 
um, who've done really interesting things, who come and speak to the scholars about their, their very practical, real-world experience. And, um, uh, and we're, we're diversifying that by getting a lot of people from outside of um, medicine, from other healthcare fields, mm. to come and speak as well, as well as from outside of healthcare completely. What are, what's the next steps for anyone thinking of applying? Well, drop us an email at any time into info at thehealthcareleadership.academy if you have any questions. Look on the website. Um, follow us on Twitter or Facebook or any of the channels. We respond as much as we can. Pretty much, we often respond within 24 hours if someone contacts us. Um, so just um, get in contact with anyone and whether it's me personally on any of the social media channels or it's any of the scholars or any of the faculty members um, or the generic HLA inbox, um, yeah, get in touch and we, can, um, and we can help you if you have a specific question or if, you, uh, or if you're thinking of applying, honestly go for it. George, mm. what, what would you, your kind of key advice when applying would be, what would it be? Uh, well, that's interesting. So my, I think my key advice when it comes to applying yourself in general, which also applies to this, is that you should always just try. I, maybe it sounds a bit facile, but I think it's very important. The, the thing which defines people being successful is not that they are infinitely better or more competent or more capable. It's simply that they're willing to try. Um, and I can say that because I failed so many times in the past, as has every other person I know who's eventually got to where they want to be. And I'm sure you, that you found the same thing in your own life, that failure is perennial for people who are trying to succeed um, and so therefore uh, apply to your very best and, and just hope for what you can um, don't, don't worry about these things because you know every, there are lots of different doors along the way and this is one which could really help having repeated my first year uh, I'm very I, I started my medical career with failure and I'm sure uh, I'm sure there's lots of people that have their opinion <laughs> on my uh, on my successes and resounding failures. resounding uh, so um that, so thank you everyone for joining us and we will um, we'll be we'll be seeing you again soon so this is the first podcast that we've produced um, as a way of introducing the concept of the HLA podcast we were really lucky because previously Kunde from Medics Motive worked with us uh, after the HLA or during the HLA conference and afterwards to produce a series of uh, HLA podcasts which were amazing really good did you listen to them george i did yeah, yeah they were really good they're really inspiring and so that's motivated us to get the hla podcast channel going on that note if you are interested in becoming a hla podcaster um the channel itself is um will be all administered by the by the hla but we're going to make that resource generally available so if you have a interesting idea for either a series of podcasts or an ongoing podcast that you'd like to um, you'd like to present or get involved with then drop us a line because we've noticed there's lots of people that have great ideas for podcasts but they don't really want to get into the minutiae of producing a podcast every month or every week or you know, or they don't want to, they don't have an idea that's an ongoing podcast, they just want to do a mini series. Well, we're going to make that resource generally available. Um, so if you've got an idea for a pod that would make, be a great three, three episode or six episode podcast on a specific topic, then get in contact. And um, depending on the topic, we might commission you um, to get involved and, and do a HLA podcast. Mm. 
And so hopefully that will be a, a great resource for and a great platform for other people to get their voices heard and diversify the range of voices that we all hear from regularly. The Healthcare Leadership Academy is kindly sponsored by our friends and colleagues at the Medical Defence Union, the MDU. Uh, they have been really great and supported us for uh, this year and also are supporting us for the next few years. So we're really grateful to the team over there um, who have been kind enough to sponsor the HLA and support our work. I hope you enjoyed today's episode of uh, the HLA Listen podcast. Uh, we recorded uh, the majority of it here in uh, the East Road studios in central London, uh, which is uh, kindly been donated by Medics Academy. And thank you to all the guests and all the listeners that are listening. If you like what we're doing, then please get in touch via any of the social media channels. We have Twitter, Facebook and LinkedIn, which we predominantly put things out on, as well as our website. Um, or you can, uh, you can get in touch with us via our email address, which is info at thehealthcareleadership.academy. Um, but yeah, get in touch. We look forward to seeing you again next time. Make sure you subscribe and listen again to what we put out. Thanks a lot. See you later.